We carry this thing together. And, um, and that's pretty remarkable. And one of the things that we've also encouraged since day one is this idea of service, this idea of missions, literally from cradle to the grave. That you don't just, you know, hit a certain sweet spot as an adult, and those are the years that you serve and give, that even from day one, from a, from a child, to being able to give and serve Jesus to the day we go be with him forever in heaven, like all of those years should count for something. And, um, and so a couple years ago, uh, Grace and Cora kind of came up with this idea, it was pretty remarkable, uh, just simply called Girls That Give. And we did this a couple years in a row where the girls came and they, we had collection boxes and they went and took stuff out in the community and they collected various things. What'd you collect? Like gloves and socks and what else? Wow. And toboggans, yeah. And then we took them and we partnered with City Lights Ministry um, in Winston, which is an incredible ministry that serves um, just kids in need uh, throughout Forsyth County and Winston-Salem. And we're able to go help distribute those items. And so th these two girls, like, like, like you know, what, what grade are you in now, Cora? Third, fourth, eighth, what? Third grade, and Grace, you're what, a junior in high school? First, first grade. So we have a first grader and a third grader who even when they were close to like pre-K and K came up with this idea of wanting to give back. And, and it comes from having parents that set that example and being in a church community where they see that um, literally every day. And so um, this year, we have the Hope Center. So they decided they wanted to do something special. And so I'm going to have you girls come on up because this is pretty cool. This is a great story and a, a great um, announcement and surprise for everybody. So they went to their principal at Piney Grove Elementary and said, hey, we're girls that give. Um, is there any way that, that we can collect food maybe in our class or something for the Hope Center? And the principal at Piney Grove said, that is such a remarkable idea. We're going to, instead of doing girls that give, we're going to do pandas that give. And pandas is kind of their mascot, and they decided they would mark a week out. And so we got some pictures of what happened this past week um, there at Piney Grove Elementary. Um, they started a food collection. It was a school-wide food collection, various classes. All the classes were collecting, and what there was like a contest. Is that right? Like whoever got the most got, what, a million dollars? A pizza party. Yeah, so whoever, whatever class got the most, so we'll just kind of flip through these pictures. And there you see, the, you know, classes were collecting food and putting them on carts. And, and we'll just keep going. And then, of course, you had to have a staging room. And so why not the living room of the Rubley's house, right? I mean, so they bring home every day. They brought home cans and boxes and food. And then, you know, there's, there we are boxing up some stuff and, and more stuff. I mean, we're getting everything here. I mean, it is pretty much incredible. Look at all that mac and cheese. I mean, we have more mac and cheese than Food Line right now. Yes. And just boxes and boxes of stuff. Incredible. This is, again, all coming from the students at Piney Grove Elementary, just right down the road. Look, I mean, look, it just keeps growing as it went on. And then they start boxing the stuff up. It's pretty incredible. And then they had to load it into a truck. And then we took it to the Hope Center. That is 2,100 pieces of food that Piney Grove Elementary collected for our Hope Center this year. And it's awesome. And it's all because these two amazing young girls said, we can do something. It doesn't matter how young we are. It doesn't matter where we're at. Like, we can do something. Guys, we can all do something. I mean, it's pretty incredible. This, this movement of Jesus, what God is doing here at Project Re3 in our community and the Hope Center is contagious. I just somebody came in today and they just told me, they're like, hey, by the way, there's a local business that's going to be collecting food all of October and they're going to give all the food to the Hope Center. Like, we didn't ask for that, right? But it's because of examples like this. 
Spring Folly is next weekend. The city of Kernersville, through all of Spring Folly, is collecting food to give it all to the Hope Center. I, that's pretty awesome to get this down to Kernersville behind something like that. I mean, this is big. We, we, we are doing what God is doing. We are on point. We are on mission. Please keep dreaming. Please keep stepping out in faith like Cora and Grace are and just saying, man, God, what do you want us to do? Where do you want us to do it? How do you want us to do it? We may not have all, all the answers right away, but you know what? We'll just be faithful and we'll step out, right? That's exactly what these two girls did a couple years ago. They, they were providing socks and toboggans and, and, and all kinds of stuff, gloves to, to needy kids in Winston. That's what we're doing right now just this past week. Thank you so much, girls, for being an inspiration to us. Thank you so much. And if our kids want to head out to Kids Church at this time, you can do so. Go plan the next big mission project, all right? They're going to come back after Kids Church and be like, all right, everybody's going to Africa. <laughs> that is awesome. Well, um, I also want to just take a moment. We have, um, we're kicking off a brand new series today. It's on the book of Ephesians. Uh, we're going to be going a chapter a week. And, and as I said in the email this past week, I just want to encourage everyone just to read it. Read it multiple times if you can um, throughout as we're all kind of going in this and walking through this together. And uh, man, there's nobody best to kick off this series than our resident Bible scholar, Mr. Quentin. And um, so Quentin Ayers, our amazing youth pastor, is going to kick off the service today, kick off our series on Ephesians. So come on up, Quentin. All right. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Hello. Can you guys all hear me? Uh, okay. Um, it's tough. Tough following Core and Grace right there. I really wish they would have went after me because uh, that's, that's pretty brutal. Um, but that is, that's awesome. Um, wow. That, that we can be on mission um, no matter what age. Uh, Timothy talks about that. Um, or Paul talks about that in um, the Timothys, how no matter what age you are, um, you can always be used for the kingdom. You can always be used for the glory of God. And that's kind of what we're jumping into um, today as well. So um, like Mike said, I'm uh, Quentin Ayers. I'm the youth pastor here at RE3. And we are jumping into a book series with Ephesians. And I'm, I'm really, really excited about that. Um, and I think we need to kind of um, get an understanding of why, why do we do that? Why do we go through a book series um, sometimes? Why do we just take that step back and just get into the Bible itself? And I think a big reason is because of this. This is what I call do-don't theology. And a lot of people have this theology if they've grown up in a certain church, and I meet a lot of like students in school or youth students that kind of have this theology too, where it's Christianity is simply just a list of rules. It is do this, do this, do this, do more of this, do more of this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And that is what their faith is. It's, it's a list of do's and don'ts. It's do-don't theology. Um, and what happens when you have this kind of do-don't theology, and that's it, is you get very frustrated, you get very burnt out. Um, you oftentimes, it doesn't stick very long. You oftentimes fail with that. Um, and it's because people don't understand who they are or why they're supposed to be doing or why they're not supposed to be doing um, certain things. And so that's why we're going to jump to Ephesians, because we're going to learn in Ephesians who we are. Paul is going to show us that, that God's glory and God's grace has made us a people worthy of reflecting God himself. And that is where we start. And if we start with that basis, then the do's and the don'ts come a lot more naturally. Then there's a lot less guilt, there's a lot less shame, because we understand terms like grace, and we understand terms like forgiveness and inheritance and adop um, adoption. Um, another way I kind of see us getting into this is, is learning how we are in the image of God himself and, and how we are reflections of him. For my students at school, 
Um, a lot of them really struggle with um, identity, having kind of a, uh, an identity crisis, each one of them. I mean, I kind of deal with ninth and 10th graders. So every day I got new students that are having a different identity crisis. If you've ever been a parent of a ninth or 10th grader, or if you can remember being a ninth or 10th grader, you can remember that you probably walked in one day with a mullet. And you don't remember why you walked in one day with a mullet, but you said, here we are with a mullet. Um, one day, maybe you let your friends shave your um, head, and then you came in the next day to youth, and you said, is this a look? And we said, no, this is not a look. <laughs> this is not a look. Um, but you kind of do things like that um, because you're like, you're trying to find who am I? What's, what's my identity? Um, and, some, and those are very like the playful ways, the harmless ways. Sometimes you see more of the harmful ways where students might act out, um, Students might do things just to get attention. Um, students might disobey um, the teacher or, or break the rules of, just to kind of find out who they are, what's my identity, what's my worth. So what I went ahead and did, was I wanted to just get ahead and get past that, is I went ahead and I put this full-length mirror in the back of my classroom, and above it I put two words, imago Dei. And those are uh, Latin words. It's a very old uh, theological um, expression. It just means in the image of God. And I put that right above the mirror. Because sometimes you have to pull the student aside and you have to say, hey, go ahead and just go walk over to that mirror, take a look in there, take a long look, and just realize you are worthy. You are worthy. You don't need to do this or do this or do this to get attention, to find worth, to be the funniest, to be the prettiest, to be the smartest. None of that stuff matters in the end. Because God has given you worth. And I'm pretty sure the students hate that much more than if I would just yell at them in class. Like that's, that's much more uncomfortable for them. But sometimes we have to be reminded of that. What is our image and what is our worth? And that's what we're going to be working through today. So let's pray. God, thank you uh, for today. Thank you that we can just kind of have um, a few minutes to dig into your word a little bit, learn a little bit more about you, Lord. As we learn about you, let us change um, what we know about ourselves. Let our hearts become more like your heart. Lord. Lord, if there's anything I say this morning that is not directly parallel with your word, let it be forgotten forever, and let only your word and your truth be remembered in the hearts of this church today. Ask this on your name. Amen. All right, so the context. I always like to start off with the context um, of each book before we dive into it. So let's talk about Ephesians. The city of Ephesus um, was a major political, economic, and religious city at the time of writing. Major political, they were the Roman capital of Asia Minor, it was modern-day Turkey. They were a major economic city, they were a port city, they had major trade routes that went through. And finally, they were a major religious city as well. In fact, the, um, the Temple of Diana, which was rebuilt by hand by the people of, um, of Ephesus, was one of the ancient seven wonders of the world. They took a lot of pride in who they were as a city. They took a lot of pride in their economy, they took a lot of pride in their politics, and when it comes to their religion, they were very similar to a lot of major cities in that time. In that time, for, um, in that time people, there weren't necessarily a lot of atheists, as you would say. Um, it wasn't the problem that people believed in no God, it was the problem that people believed in too many, or believed in too many um, superstitious ideas. Um, they, were, they were heavily influenced by the occult, they were heavily influenced by Greek and Roman paganism. Um, Diana, her other name is Artemis, it's a Greek name uh, for that goddess. And so they just had all these different religions and ideas and philosophical schools um, of thoughts uh, flowing around. And so that's why Jesus has to remind them in the Gospels, I am the only way. It's not that Jesus has to necessarily convince them that there is a God, but that he is the only God. And so that is kind of what Ephesus is dealing with as well. Now, Paul had a really interesting relationship with Ephesus in the, in the Ephesian church. He was a pastor there for three years. 
You can see it in Acts where he travels to Ephesus and becomes a pastor there. He makes some really great relationships. In fact, his relationship with the church is so strong that when the Holy Spirit brings him back to Jerusalem, he, the Greek literally says he has to be torn away. He has to be torn away from this church because the love is so deep. He heads to Jerusalem. If you can read in Acts, later in Acts, um, where he is, uh, in, he goes through some trials. He is in prison for a couple years. And during those two years of imprisonment, he writes the prison epistles, um, just letters to churches while he's in prison. Ephesians is one of those prison epistles. So while he is in prison, you know, not a really great place for somebody to be, he is writing this very heavenly book. There's a lot of commentators that call Ephesians the most heavenly book of any book of the Bible. It has a lot of very high thoughts, a lot of very um, theological thoughts, very deep And I just like the imagery of that in my mind, of Paul sitting in this dark, you know, dank cell, but in his mind, he's going through this, you know, beautiful pictures of God's grace and God's graciousness, God's love. I think it's a really nice image. One thing you have to know also before you jump into Ephesians is this relationship with Colossians. Colossians is another um, prison epistle, and they were written probably around the exact same time. They were actually sent out by the very same messenger. But with Colossians, Paul was having to do some treatment. And this is probably why Ephesians was written, because Colossians, a heresy had invaded the church. Um, The church was beginning to fall to false teachings. They were uh, beginning to forget who God was or who God is and who they were because they were forgetting who God was. Um, And so Paul is having to treat them. So what Paul decides to do, he's like, oh, I got another church in Ephesus. And what I need to do is I need to get to them before the same thing happens. He has to be prescriptive for Colossae, but he has to be preventative for um, Ephesus. It reminds me when I was a lifeguard, for a summer camp, that's the worst job, by the way. I don't know why anyone would ever choose to be a lifeguard. Um, I don't know why I chose to. Like ten, the extra $10 a week was not worth it. Like that, it's the worst. I'm just stressed out. Like Most of the time, I don't really like being like out in the sun for like really long, long periods. I mean, I don't know why I chose to be a lifeguard, but I was. I was a lifeguard, and what you learn um, when, you're, when you're being taught how to be a lifeguard is that most of your work is preventative. Um, you are yelling at kids before they get injured. You're yelling at kids before you need to make a save um, because you don't want to be in that situation where you need to make a save or do any other treatment. And that's what Paul's doing. You know, I would rather, I would, I would much rather yell at a kid and pull up a chair beside my stand and say, hey, if you keep running, you keep running around this pool, you're going to be sitting in this chair the whole rest of pool time and have that kid hate me. I would much rather that happen than that kid, um, you know, be running around and slip and smack his face on the concrete, then I have to deal with that situation. Um, and so that's what Paul's going to do. Hey, I got this situation happening in Colossae. I'm going to go ahead and remind the Ephesians right now who they are so we don't have to have the same thing happen. And so that's why um, the, the book of Ephesians was written. And I think Ephesians serves three purposes. I used to think Ephesians only had two purposes, but after kind of digging more into the word um, in preparation for this, I think there are actually three purposes. One, Um, The first purpose being that Paul is going to show the Ephesians who they are as believers in Christ. Two, Paul is going to show the people in in Ephesus who they are as a church. What is their church identity? And then three, how do you practically live based on those first two things? So who are you as a believer? Who are you as a church? And now how do you live based on the answers to those first two questions? And I think those are the three purposes of Ephesians. Now let's jump actually into the word finally. Um, We're going to be in Ephesians 1, uh, 11 through 14 today. And verse 11 starts like this. In him. All right, let's stop right there. (laughs) um, Sometimes I do that at school. My students really hate that. But we got to stop right here. It's in him is, is where we start in verse 11. Now in him is mentioned a lot already 
in Ephesians. If you just do a quick scan of Ephesians chapter 1, you're going to see that in him or through him or because of Jesus Christ or in Jesus Christ is mentioned like nine or ten times. In fact, in uh, verse 1, it says this of Ephesians. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints, to the Christians who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. It's something I like to call spiritual geography. Paul's going to remind them where they're at. Yeah, they're in Ephesus, but they're also in Christ. They have two homes. Like right now, I am in Christ, but I'm also in Kernersville, Right? And that's what Paul is going to do. It's kind of spiritual geography. And that's kind of how Ephesus is going to play out. I mean, the book of Ephesians is going to play out. Chapters 1 through 3, this is what it means to be in Christ. Chapters 4 through 6, this is what it means to be in Ephesus because of, uh, based on being in Christ. It's a lot of spiritual geography going on. Let's keep reading. Verse 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Let's stop on this word, inheritance. This is inheritance that is given, that is chosen for us. It is not something that we have earned. In this, you see um, the word predestined. It is already chosen for us. Some of your, some of your translations will have that. It is chosen. This chosen inheritance. It's not, not something we've ever earned. Now, a lot of times we think of inheritance, we think of wills, and we think of estates, and we think of boats and cars and money and families fighting. Um, we think of things like that, and that's all based around treasure, and it is a treasure. Um, this is the kingdom, this is salvation, this is eternal life. Yes, that is part of the inheritance, but that's not it. If you look back in verse 5, it talks about our inheritance is to be the very adoption of God. Our inheritance doesn't just stop with these treasures. We are also going to inherit the very nature of God, and I think that's amazing. Um, whether you like it or not, there are parts of you that you've inherited from your parents. Um, a part that I've liked that I inherited from my mom, you know, she's, she's very, um, she's very uh, perseverant, and, and I really like that. You know, that's, that's a part of my mother I, I really enjoy that I've inherited. Now, a part of her nature that I've also inherited that I don't like is her sense of directions. I'm horrible. I'm the, I am the worst. I'm the worst with directions all the time. My GPS is pretty much, if you check, like, my screen time on my phone, like, 50% of it's GPS, the Google Maps. Um, I'm awful with directions. But those are both things that I've inherited from my mom. Now, when we reach the kingdom, something we will inherit from Christ, if you are a believer, is the very righteousness and nature of God himself. And I think that's kind of incredible and something worth mentioning. Another thing is this big trigger word right here, predestination. You guys have seen it? Um, most of my questions I get in school or, or talking to believers or talking to people kind of struggling with faith for the first time is predestination, election. A lot of pastors and preachers and teachers don't even like to bring those words up because they're such trigger words. Um, but they're in the Bible, so <laughs> they're worth talking about. Um, now, if you want to have a full discussion, we'll have like a one-on-one later. Maybe we can kind of talk about it and stuff. Um, but just, I just want to kind of let you know, for those people that feel like predestination, um, they kind of get worried about it. They're like, am I predestined? Am I chosen? Because um, this predestination was before the foundation of the world, it says. Um, am, I, am I chosen? Am I like good enough to be chosen and stuff? To them, I say that's exactly opposite of the point. The point is you're not good enough. And that's why predestination is such a miraculous gift of God's grace. Think about all the people in the Old Testament, which they also use the word election and predestination for as well, that were chosen for these great, great tasks that were not great, great people. I'm teaching through Genesis right now still with my Old Testament classes, and we're going through Abraham. You know, Abraham, Father Abraham, the father of Christianity. Also kind of a liar, um, kind of a coward um, as well. You guys know his son Isaac. 
Also a liar. Same lie. I don't know why I even, why I even did it. Um, and then, oh, we think got Jacob. That guy's name literally means deceiver. Um, and then you move on to David. You know, the king, David, a man after God's own heart. Kind of an adulterer. Kind of a murderer. You know, kind of. Moses, murderer. Um, Gideon, coward. Um, all the, Paul, murderer. All these people who are these, these great, great figures in our faith were not perfect people. And that should be so encouraging for us because it is so encouraging for me because I know that I'm not perfect. But yet God still chooses to give this inheritance to those who are the least worthy. And I think if you've come face to face with the gospel in your life, then you have been chosen. That might be some like easy shortcut theology, but that's kind of what I think. If you've come face to face with the gospel, then you can be assured that you have been chosen. Now, why are we chosen? Because there's got to be a purpose behind it, right? Why chosen? Verse 12 says this, So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Sometimes when I'm having a deep conversation with someone, I might ask, well, what do you think your purpose, you know, biblically um, is in life? Like, what do you think your life's purpose is? And I have students that tell me, well, my purpose is to be, you know, a good student, or my purpose is to be a good child, or my, my life's purpose is to be, right right now, my purpose is to be like a good person or a good friend. I'll have adults that tell me my, my purpose is to be a good husband or a good wife, a good spouse. Um, my purpose is to be a good employer or a good employee. Um, my purpose is to be a good person. All that good stuff. And I say, oh, those are great answers. They're all wrong, though, biblically. Your purpose in life is the same as my purpose. We all share the same purpose. It is just to give glory back to God. That is our life's purpose. There he is. Just found it for you. So if you've been searching for it, here you go. (laughs) Biblically, your life's purpose is to bring glory back to God. And by doing that, you're going to become a better husband or a better wife or a better child or a better employee. That's going to be a natural outcome of that. But first and foremost... Your purpose is to bring glory back to God. That's exactly why he chose you, why he predestined you for that inheritance. And you might think, well, that's kind of vain of God, you know? That's kind of vain. That's kind of self-centered. And I would say, yeah, (laughs) that's true, but God's not vain. In fact, our inheritance, as we mentioned, a part of it is our nature. And if we are to adopt that nature one day fully, then we need to be a reflection of it now. If we were to one day fully adopt the nature of God then we need to learn to be a reflection of that nature now. And by doing that, we will naturally give glory back to God. Um, the NFL season just started back. I'm pretty, uh, I'm pretty excited about it. Washington football team won Thursday. No big deal. About one point, because the Giants um, make about 1,000 penalties. Yeah, the Giants are horrible. Um, they're the worst. Um, the Eagles are the worst. Am I right, Jacob? Um, the Cowboys are also the worst. And uh, all right, now we're back to the Washington football team. Um, and so they won, and so that's awesome. But there's this term in the NFL. I don't know if you guys have heard it. It's kind of this term to get thrown around. It's called act your wage. And this is kind of the idea behind it, is the players that are really, really good, and they get paid a lot, a lot of money, they can kind of do some things that kind of bend the rules and push the rules, even within like their own organization, and not get fired. Um, and not really receive a lot of punishment. Where you take someone who's like coming off the bench, um, or someone who's like a rookie, maybe not like getting paid that much, maybe not that great of a player. If they do that same stuff, they're going to be cut. Because the team can afford to lose them. So you've got to kind of learn this idea when you, get, when you get to the NFL of, of act your wage. The number one problem I see with believers, and I see in myself, is I do not act my wage as a believer. Right? I do not act... Like a savior, a perfect son of God died on the cross for me, and now I'm given inheritance. 
to the very nature of God and to eternal life and to the kingdom. I don't act my wage a lot, and that's kind of where we get into these spiritual issues. How can this inheritance be assured? How can we be sure we're going to have it? That's another big question I get. How do, how do I know like this is, this is not just a one-time thing? How do I know that I can't lose this? Because if it was up to me, I would lose that inheritance. I wouldn't want to, but my sinful nature and how I act and how I speak to people uh, and the things I think um, in my heart and in my mind, I would lose that inheritance. But it can be assured because of this. 13 and 14 say this. In him, there it is again, you also, whom you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed, it's a big key word right there, sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee, who is the guarantee uh, or the down payment of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Once again, you see that, to the praise of his glory. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Um, I love Ephesians because it talks about the Trinity. The Trinity wasn't a word that existed at this point, um, but it talks about the roles, even in, in chapter 1, of God as the person that has predestined our salvation, as Jesus as the way in which we can come into this salvation, and as the Holy Spirit is what has sealed this salvation. And I think that's awesome kind of see all three parts of the Trinity all working for your salvation. I mean, I, I kind of feel honored by that. Now, this idea of sealed denotes four things. There are four ideas that come with the word sealed. One, authentication. This is authentic. You know, like back in the day when the king would send like a letter to another king or another lord, he would like put it, have his ring and he would dip the ring in wax and then put it on the, that would be a seal, right? That would be to show this is authentically from this king, right? That's how you know it's authentic, the seal. The second thing it denotes is ownership. So first, your salvation is authentic. It is real. Second, ownership. That's what the seal gives, ownership. If someone were to get that letter with that seal on it, you'd say, oh, well, that is from that king. That is, this is his property. This is, he owns this letter. He's the one that sent it. Ownership. So we can know that our salvation is authentic, and it is also authentically owned by the Lord. Number three is security. That's the third thing a seal denotes, is security. This is secure. This has not been tampered, broken, tarnished in any way. This past week, I was talking um, with some friends, and they were telling me, I never heard this story, and I was pretty disgusted by it. They were telling me that at the beginning of COVID, what people would do for pranks and for giggles and stuff is they would film each other, and they would go into a grocery store. And as someone who used to work in a grocery store, I really thought this was disgusting. And they would go to where the ice cream section is. And they would take it, and they would take out like the pints of ice cream that don't have a seal on them, and they would take it, and they would pop open the seal, and they would lick the ice cream, and then they put the cap back on, and then they put it back in the in the fridge, and they would like film each other doing this all for like laughs and stuff, you know, like people film each other for the dumbest reasons, right? Well, what turns out is most of these people got caught and actually got sent to prison. <laughs> they actually served time for this, which I thought was good because that's kind of like a war crime to me <laughs> if you're doing that. And it also um, convinced me of one more thing: I am never buying ice cream that does not have a seal on it anymore. Sorry if that ruined your favorite ice cream for you, but like, um, does Ben and Jerry's have the seal? Yeah, Ben and Jerry's got that little plastic seal. That's right, Leslie. Right? I think so too. I'm only buying Ben and Jerry's. I don't care what it means. Because um, I know that that cap has not been taken off because it's been sealed. It has not been tarnished. It has not been licked. Um, it is good. <laughs> All right? Um, same with our, with, with our salvation. It has been sealed by the Holy Spirit. No matter what you do, 
And I promise at some point in your life, you'll really try. You cannot ruin that salvation. There's no part about you. There's nothing you've done, nothing you did, nothing you're going to do that can ruin, can tarnish, can break the salvation. And that is one of the most glorious parts about the gospel. Is that you can't lose this once you have it. This word guarantee, with the verse guarantee, uh, some of your translations, the HCSB had um, down payment. I really like that. Um, the Holy Spirit is putting a down payment on your salvation, on your righteousness, on your glory, until one day you can have it in heaven. Um, your payment was, of course, Christ. And then the Holy Spirit signifies this is now the down payment for the future, for the future uh, fulfillment of it. That word for down payment in the Greek is actually still the same word they use in modern day Greek when, um, when a man gives an engagement ring um, to his girlfriend. That I've made this down payment on our relationship. I've made this promise. That I'm giving you this ring now to promise that we will be married. I'm not just saying, oh, I'm going to marry you. I'm not just um, telling you that. Um, I'm actually giving you a sign. I'm giving you a down payment that this relationship will move into marriage. I think that's awesome. Because that's still what the Holy Spirit is for us. It is that sign, it is that, that seal, that this relationship we have with the Lord will one day be ultimately fulfilled in complete and perfect relationship with Him, with no separation of sin. So we've got the two questions we have to ask ourselves when we come um, to the end of this, to the end of this study. And there's so much more that can be studied. And I encourage you, read Ephesians as we go through this. You can read one chapter a week and get through it and, and how we're going to do it. Um, I would encourage you to read it multiple times if you can. I would even encourage you, <clears throat> and this might be crazy for somebody to hear, read it in one sitting. Um, it's a letter. That's kind of how it was meant to be read um, by the audience. Um, you don't just, if someone sends you a letter now, you don't just like go four sentences down and then just study that like fourth sentence that you got <laughs> in the letter and then like forget the top and forget the bottom. You know, like that's not how it kind of works in real life. Um, and, and I kind of hate chapter and verse breaks because of this. But read it, try to read this in one sentence, uh, one sitting at least once. Because you're going to see how Paul's argument is going to flow. And how his thoughts and, and how his picture of the Lord and because of what, who the Lord is, who we are, is going to flow. So what do we learn about God from this chapter? Well, first, we learn that God desires for us to step into the role and identity that he has chosen for us based on his goodness our salvation through Christ, and the sealing work of the Spirit. All three of the members of the Trinity work together for us to step into this role, to say that we are worthy. And we are not worthy because we're the best spouse, we're the best employee, you're the most money, you're the most popular, you're the funniest, you got a boat, like, like these things that don't make you worthy. They mean nothing. But you are worthy because God has said and chosen you to be worthy. That's the first thing we learn. Then we have to ask, out of that knowledge about the passage, and out of that knowledge about God, what do we learn about ourselves? That should always come last, because that's the least important. What do you learn about yourself? Well, we are so much more than what we've told ourselves. We are so much more than maybe what our parents, or our family, or our society, or our employer. We are so much more than any of those people have told us. And we are so much more than what we have told ourselves we are. We... Don't, 
just give hope through the Hope Center and through our missions and through our organizations like that. We have hope. And I think you have to have hope to give it. We have the hope that one day we will be in ultimate fulfillment of this inheritance. We will have the very nature of God. And the things of this world will pass away. The pain, the tears, the sadness, the strife, all that will pass away. And we will know what real hope is. That is what God's desiring for me and for you, to know that. As we go through Ephesians these next few weeks, really take some time asking the questions in your personal study. What is God wanting me to show about myself? What is God trying to show about me? And then how can I live that out practically? Because that's how Ephesians build. You're going to learn more about God, which should change how you, what you know about you, which should then change how you live in life and community as a church. I just encourage you with that. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. Uh, thank you for this time together that we can just kind of sit um, in, in a few, just a few verses of, of Ephesians 1 today um, that we can learn more about you and your heart and, and let, those, let what we've learned today about this down payment, about the sacrifice of Christ, about the predestination of the Lord, let that change how we see ourselves. God, we are not righteous, but we are worthy. God, we don't have to perform. We don't have to act. We don't have to stand out just to know that we are worthy. Lord, you have already said, you, my child, are worthy. Let us live in that. Let us find contentment in that. And then let that change how we act. Don't just let us adopt this do-don't theology, Lord. Let us adopt this theology of this is who you say I am, so now let me act like it. We pray this all in your glorious name. Amen.